as you're turning back to Ephesians, starting at verse 11. Today we're going to be looking at the, the unity in the body, the unity in the body. When we look at words, we, we oftentimes want to just rush past them. Uh, I know in teaching and teaching classes and, you know, talking to kids and you'll, you'll read a paragraph, you'll read a sentence. And if you really want to, you know, kind of put them on the spot, you just ask them this very, very difficult question. What did you just read? <laughs> it's like you just read it, right? One sentence, one word, and quite often they'll look at you with that glaze and say, I don't know. Uh, and I'm no different. I remember the first passage my dad had me memorize was Psalm 1, and I felt awesome when I you know, stood before him and recited it. And then he looked at me and asked me that question, what does it mean? <laughs> it's like you just spent all that time saying it and memorizing it and you know, it comes out of your mouth, but you have no idea what you're saying. Well, we, we need to understand what we're reading uh, because this is God's uh, word to us, just like as any father to a child. When you sit down and you write something, it, it's weighty. Uh, for those of you who might be away from your parents, uh, when you receive a card or a letter or a text or whatever it is, Make no mistake, there, there's weight behind those words. Uh, oftentimes parents um, really labor and, and struggle over exactly what to say because to them that message is so important. Even I love you is, is powerful and the encouragement, the exhortations, the reminders and you're thinking, oh no, here they go again. I've already heard this before. Uh, but it's with love that the father instructs a child. Well, today we struggle with this word unity. We struggle with it all over. There's uh, tension and hostility and, and conflicts all over the place. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll mention and, and talk a lot about, you know, the peripheral of, of political things. We, we don't dive deep into it, but, but anyone could see that there's definitely a great tension you know, with a Republican and Democrat, right? The problem with that is, well, they're both supposed to be American. Uh, where's the unity? Uh, you know, conservative versus liberal, us versus them. But in fact, we live in a culture today that actually, if you're, if you're educated, if you're taught well, if you go to places of higher learning, um, which is why you guys are at the perfect place and not the university, um, you're going to be taught to be disunified. By definition, the, the first thing you need to understand are words like intersectionality, right? Right? We're going we're gonna to split us up and cut us up and divide us right away. In fact, that's how you got admitted into the school. You know, what, what, what was your race? Where were you from? What was your, your economic status? All those things count when you're applying to go to college nowadays. And so then they just spend four years highlighting that even more. And so when you come out, the only real thing you've learned is to identify all the little different twists and turns within you. And all you really care about is yourself because that's all the only thing that matters, right? Um, and then they wonder why we're not unified. Well, when you focus on you and take me, for instance, you know, we would chop me up and say, okay, well, you know, who are you? Well, your mom's German Irish or your dad's, you know, Spanish Mexican. It's like, yeah, I don't know anything about the German Irish side. I'm Mexican. So I'm a Mexican, right? And then I'm, I'm from Los Angeles. So I'm a person from Los Angeles. So I'm a male and, you know, once an athlete, always an athlete, I'm an athlete and and it'll just go on, you know, from there. And then let's start talking about, you know, the bad stuff that happened. That I don't want to let that go. I want to hold on to that forever. Which is completely opposite of the gospel. 
completely opposite of being born again, completely opposite of forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead. It's completely opposite to what love is defined by, by not keeping accounts of wrong suffered. These are completely antithetical to what God has instructed us to. And intersectionality at its core is disunity. And when we look at a nation and we wonder why we can't be unified, it's because we've been taught to chop ourselves up. Disunity. <clears throat> well, in the Ephesian world, it's no different then. They, they had some different polarizing issues, slave versus free men, and especially in the Christian community. I mean, you can only imagine how you would reconcile a world that has slaves and free people. And remember, the, the slaves walked uh, around amongst the people. The bond servants uh, had great tasks and duties. The bond servants carried the checkbook. The bond servants went and made the business deals. The bond servants took care of the household. The bond servants watched your kids, right? The, the slaves were all over. The slaves were all, you know, same color. So you couldn't, you know, immediately identify. And then they became Christians, slave and free male and free men, and you're worshiping together. That, that, was, that was a hard thing. It was a really hard thing to deal with. Uh, you had a culture at the time, men and women treated very, very differently. Um, the Greeks, who were the highly educated, sophisticated, and then the barbarians. And I love the comparison. It, it's not like Greeks and, you know, the, the German Huns. It's let's go down to the lowest denominator of who they were, barbarians. Right? I mean, by definition, that, that's uh, sketchy. And then ultimately, we know the difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Right? Us and everybody else. That's the Jews were Israel, the Hebrews, God's chosen people, and then everybody else. And so the Ephesian world was, was full of, of things that would, you know, disunify you and then all of a sudden they're told we're all one we're, we're all one how are we all one we're all one through Christ through Christ well that was radical that was a radical thing and they had to fight against the things of the world the things around them were constantly still trying to pry away at them were you you're, you're a Samaritan. You're a Philistine. You're an Egyptian. He's a Jew. We, we can't play in the same play box together. No way. We can't worship together. And so even as these Christian churches were polarizing and you had, well, we've got, you know, 30 ex-Jewish Christians and, you know, like four barbarians, they, they would have that mindset still. It would still have that, that separation. <clears throat> and so today we're going to see that um, there's three reasons why the body of Christ uh, needed to be unified. The, the, the body of Christ needed to be unified. And, and the three reasons were, well, the Gentiles were formerly alienated. They were alienated. The Gentiles, secondly, were formerly far off. And then third, the Gentiles were former strangers. Again, the, the, the background is, is the history of mankind. We, we start in the very beginning of Genesis. And, and Israel is selected and chosen. It begins with Abraham being pulled out of Ur, right? And God chooses and picks Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, right? And out of Abraham comes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And so the sons, therefore, after were known as Israelites. A little before that, the world would recognize them as Hebrews. So the Hebrews and the Israelites are, are then the Jews, and then there's everybody else. 
So you got the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Jezebites, right? The, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, everybody else is Gentile. Um, they were the caretakers. Israel were the caretakers of the blessings, caretakers of the laws, caretakers of the covenants. They were the caretakers of the, the sacrifices and the sacrificial system and keeping the dates. If you weren't a Jew, you went, well, when's that? What's Sukkoth? What is that? When do we celebrate that? I don't, I don't know. Is there a sell on meat down the street? That's all I care about it. And so the, the, the Israelites, they, they held all these, these uh, sacraments. The Gentile world was pagan. The Gentile world was idolatrous. And, and that's kind of the, the aggressive way of saying it. But, but really, the Gentile world was, well, they worshipped things. They worshipped gods with a little g. Um, and that was part of the problem was they... They, they weren't opposed to worshiping. They just worshiped the wrong things. They worshiped pagan things. They worshiped idolatrous things. And this is part of the reason why Israel had to be separated from the world. The word holy just means separate. And part of the sacramental, the sacrifices and the, the clothing and the diets was, okay, Israel, you need to be set apart from all the other nations. And you can't intermarry with the other nations. Why? Because of color? No, they were all the same color. It was because they had different uh, traditions of worship. And so God knows that mama is going to teach her family's religion to the family. And so we can't have the Israelites intermarrying with the pagan Philistines, right? Can't have that. And so the Jews in trying to maintain that separation, that holiness in a good way, but in a bad way became very arrogant, very conceited. Um, you would get an attitude like guys like Jonah, right? I don't want to say to the Ninevites. I don't like those guys. They could go straight to Hades for all I care. Does that mentality come out of us? I don't want those guys... I don't care what happens to them. Wish they would go away. No, we should have a different attitude that the Lord would come and transform them. Now, Jonah knew what the Lord was going to do. He was going to save them. And so what was Jonah's response? I don't want to go then. I don't want him saved. Whoa, could you imagine? But that was, Jonah was a personification of the attitude of Israel. They, they really didn't want the others saved. The Jews would have a saying that, you know, when you left Philist, uh, Palestine, Palestine, you would shake the dust off of your feet. That's where that came from. Because they, I, don't, I, don't want any, I don't want anything of Palestine left on me. Um, when they would walk uh, on their journey, to, to if, if they were going towards Samaria, the Samaritans, they would walk around. That's how bad they thought. So you know what? I've got to go to Enumclaw and I'm at Four Corners. I could just go through Black Diamond, but I'd rather like go around and go by Palmer. I'm not going through Black Diamond. They go out of their way. So there were some misguided thoughts with Israel. Well, that's where we come to when we're in Ephesians, in an Ephesian church. And Ephesian church is in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's in the middle of, of the coming and going, the import, the export, travel, trading. I mean, it's a place of commerce, is a place of a lot of, as we mentioned before, you know, there were great religious activities going on with the, uh, uh, you know, F the Ephesian church with uh, Diana at the temple. So there was religion, there was commerce, there was action, activity, the whole thing. And all these different people kind of come together and they're getting saved and they're identifying as Christians, but they still have a mindset of that individual intersectionality in them that the Lord has to work through. And so... The body of Christ needed to go through a, a, a correction. Uh, 
And the first thing we see is these Gentiles, they were, well, they were alienated. They were alienated. They were unwanted. Alienated means estranged, uh, means hostile and isolated. I wonder if we could think of a group of people that maybe fit this today. Uh, I think of, you know, the, the Mexican illegals, right? Illegally coming across the country. And you get a whole group of people coming into a town and the good old Texans sit there and go, well, we don't want these guys coming in here, right? That's a very clear visual picture of what alienation looks like. They're they're very aggressively, hostily unwanted. Now from us in Washington, we could look at a, a, from an afar, make an opinion. Yeah, it's a good thing. That's a bad thing. There's not a whole lot of hostility, emotion attached because we don't live there. Be a farmer on the border and see if your, your hostility might, might, might rise. Have family and friends that are influenced and, and have uh, interaction with what happens there. So this is the idea of this alienation, right? So they can come across, they can even live there for 10, 20, 30, 40 50 years, but there'll still be hostility within, within the people. Um, I grew up in a town called Glendale, California. It's, if you're standing in the city of Los Angeles, it's over the D of the Hollywood sign, right? So we're like right there in LA, you know, 15 minutes away. Well, in that city, predominantly it was a upper middle class, pretty, pretty much white bread town. So much so that the Nazi party in America was actually had a headquarters in Glendale and you can go today and go to the light posts and on the bottom of the light post around in their uh, decorations are swastikas. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, what? No way. And you know, there was a light post two doors down from me and I walked out there and looked and was like, huh, that's interesting may explain then my my dad and when his family when they moved from Pacoima San Fernando San Fernando which was like almost all Mexican and they thought they were you know like the Jeffersons moving on up to Glendale who Glendale didn't want them so they you know pushed them literally to the other side of the railroad tracks in a area of Glendale called Atwater well even though they were legal even though they had been there for a long time the People in Glendale still alienated them because you could see that they looked clearly Mexican. Now, they wouldn't do that with me because I don't look Mexican. But that's the idea of alienation. Alienation begins socially. So we see here in verse 11, therefore, remember, remember that you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So what's happening here? So this letter is written and they're just identified that it's in Christ through Christ that, that we were once dead in our sins, but have now been forgiven by the blood of Christ saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own. It's a gift of God. Therefore, remember you, Right? You were once sinful, ungodly enemies of Christ. You were graciously saved and you were no good crummy Gentiles. Um, but then it kind of flips over. Well, the so-called circumcision versus the uncircumcision. So the uncircumcision was a, was a social, physical alienation. So you could see, right? You would know if somebody was Jewish or circumcised. You can see somebody's skin color. That's why that's always the easiest one is, you know, skin color. You can see when people are poor and downtrodden. And so what's being said here is, well, the, the, the Gentiles who are called uncircumcision or uncircumcised, remember David, when David sees Goliath, blaspheming God, what does he call him? You uncircumcised Philistine. 
Now, we don't think much of it. We just think, oh, identity. It's like, well, that would be tantamount to a euphemism that we might say today. Uh, uncircumcision was, was not a kind thing. It was a, 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 a social alienation. alienation. And then the, the, what's reminded here is, look, remember, you, you, you were Gentiles in the flesh, um, which is performed to in the flesh by human hands. So there's a check here. There's a reminder. I know you guys are feeling pretty proud and arrogant of yourselves because you're circumcised. Well, anybody can be circumcised. That's just from the hand. Any, any human can circumcise another human. Fast forward to 2022, people are circumcised every day, and it virtually, literally means nothing. They, they just do it. They don't even know why they do it. They just do it. Well, back here, there was purpose and reason, but there's a reminder here. Look, even though you're doing this to identify as to be a Jew and on the team, team Jew, it's, it's still a human thing. You're making a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. Uh, we see in Galatians 5, 6, again, the reminder there, because circumcision and the Jews in the church is a big problem all over the place. And in Galatians 5, 6, look, circumcision is nothing. Stop with it. Um, Romans 2, 28 through 29 says, look, we'll go a step further. You're a Jew if you're one inwardly, not externally, through circumcision. Because they're trying to erase these lines here. Right? The, the early church is really, really struggling with the, the, the Jews. They had studied the scriptures. They had been attending synagogue. And so they think that they're like in charge and running the church. Um, and they're trying to pull in the old traditions and those traditions are identifiers and those traditions are, are areas where there's where, where there's arrogance and so there's a reminder here remember you guys were no good crummy gentiles in fact you were called the uncircumcision by and i love this the so-called circumcised we, we have an indicator here of look uh, yes, clearly you're a Gentile and, and, and uncircumcised, but these people think there's some things. Their so-called circumcision means something. It doesn't. And we'll get to that in, in, in a little bit. There's also spiritual alienation. There, there's, a, there's a social one, but there's a spiritual one. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time, separate from Christ. Re remember, the, the title Christ is not Jesus' name. Jesus' name is not Jesus' last name, Christ. It's a title, the Christ, which is the Messiah, which is the man-king. Okay, the Messiah is the ultimate in the Jewish faith. So when you say and when you see this specific, you were at that time separate from the king. You were separate from the Messiah king, not just any king. This, this, this was, was the ultimate king, the spiritual king, the Messiah, the one of, of hope. And so what it's saying here is, well, you were spiritually alienated because you didn't have the Messiah King who was the great deliverer King. So as Gentiles, you were spiritually alienated because, well, he's not your King, right? You're, 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 you're not on their team. Um, excluded also from the commonwealth of Israel. Not only are we not spiritually connected through the Messiah, but you, you weren't part of their nation. The commonwealth is the nation of Israel. Remember, God had a theocracy. God had a nation. God was king of that nation. He was head of the nation of Israel. It was a theocracy. And you're not in it. You're not a citizen of Israel. 
you are then, and, verse 12, and you are strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with covenants because as Christians, we study the Old Testament and some of the covenants have, you know, we, we see them still today. But in this day, why would you know anything about the covenants? Who can tell me about the doctrines of, of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, you don't know. Well, why don't you know? Because you're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Because you don't study that. Because you didn't grow up in that tradition. Well, what's happening here is that the, what's being said is, look, as Gentiles, you're, you're strangers to the covenants. You, you, you don't know what the covenants are. You don't know what the Abrahamic promise is. You don't know what the Davidic covenant is. You don't know what the priestly covenant means. You don't know what the Mosaic covenant's all about. You don't know. The sacraments, the sacrifices that take place. You don't know why we do them. You are a stranger to the covenants of these great promises. In those covenants are, are impacted with great hope, right? This is where their hope is. The future coming Messiah who's going to save us. Well, if you don't know the covenant, then you don't know the Messiah, then you don't have the hope. And so there's, there's great alienation in that. And they're without God in the world. They, they don't have God. They're worshiping and following other things, but they, they, they're alienated spiritually and they don't have any hope because they don't, they don't have God. Um, in fact, it's described in Psalm 147, 20 as, well, when we're looking at the difference between Israel and other nations is God doesn't know those other nations. Those are pagan nations. He doesn't know them. Um, and so, again, the, the Israelites would have this, this idea and understanding, well, they're, they're, they're completely isolated and separate from us, and we don't have to have anything to do with them. One of the problems that the Gentiles faced was, and we see this today, and this is probably what is the greatest threat in the church today, is that the pagan nations were, were unified by one thing, they weren't Jews. See, the, the pagan nations, for the most part, were, were very pantheistic, right? You could believe in anything you want to believe in. That's cool. Have your own belief as your own. That's cool. You, you hear the same thing today. You can believe what you want. Just don't, just don't preach your thing to me. Um, that's pantheist. They were, they were the ultimate universalist. Everything goes. The problem with, with the Jewish religion was they were exclusive. There is but one God and one God alone. Deuteronomy 6. There are no other gods. That's then where the world turns on them, together unified in their pantheistic ideas, their pagan cultures, their universalism, their ecumenicalism to unite against Israel. Well... The tables are now kind of being turned because now what's being said is, well, all of these different people are then called to be unified, but not under their universalism. You don't come together and it's some ecumenical thing. Hey, can't we all just get along? No, we, we can all be unified, but we rally and unify around what? Not nothing. Around what? Well, Obviously, we need to rally around Israel. No, that was the, the, the wrong thinking. That was the misconception that's taking place. And so the Gentiles were formally alienated. Um, they're alienated from the seals of the promises made um, by God to Israel. They, they, were, they were, were spiritually lost. They were socially lost. Well, the second thing we see is the Gentiles in this, they, they're far off. They're far off. First, verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were, were, past tense, far off, have been brought near. So you used to be like, you, you know, we'll say it now, man, you're way out there, right? So you could be far off, even though you're two feet away from me. 
or far off because you're on the other side of the Mediterranean. But both, both literally and figuratively, it was it, it's distance, it's ideology. You're a long way away. So the Gentiles were far from being on the right path, but they were brought near. How were they brought near? How were they brought near? By the blood of Christ. That's essential. There's, there's nothing in that that's Jewish, right? There's nothing in that that's old covenant. That's the new thing. The blood of Christ. What's that? What's the, that's the cross. That's the gospel, right? So now all those who were formerly far off, not close, you know what we rally around now? The cross, the blood of Christ. That's, that's the anchor. That's the rally cry. That's what we can now unite around. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. How do we all come along? How do we kiss and make up? How do we stop killing each other? How do we uh, stop with the, with the anger and the rants and the division? Our peace and our peace alone comes from him. Not the things that then we make up. The things that we make up don't work, right? It's, it's, it's pretty funny. You, you listen now to the, you know, the people on the street, right? The, the protesters, the rioters with their veins popping out and, you know, and they're, they're screaming and yelling, you know, and these, you know, these are the women and, you know, angry and violent and destructive. And, you know, and it's like, you know, you need to be loving. Okay, that's how I'm supposed to be loving. I'm supposed to be loving by, you need to embrace, right? You need to be inclusive. You, you, you need to, to you know, uh, take in all things. It's like, okay, well, I, well, let's start with this. Why don't you, why don't you take me in? Ah! <laughs> right? Hmm, I guess they're not really inclusive and they can't, they can't bring that which is far off near because they don't have the anchor of the blood of Christ. They don't have God himself being the peace who does what will make two groups into one. Now this is a beautiful and amazing thing because we're seeing a transition right before our eyes. You had all, you had the Jews and then everybody else, the Gentiles. And then what takes place in verse four, by the way, both groups are now going to be into one. And he breaks down the barrier of the dividing wall. It, it, it's it's the, the Berlin Wall all over again, right? You had East Germany, you had West Germany, East Germany represented communism, West Germany represented freedom. And then what happens? Reagan comes along, tear down this wall, right? The wall comes out and guess what? The Germans are now Germans again, united as one. That's the idea of, of the wall coming down. And then this, it's, it's not East Germany and West Germany, it's Israel and the world. So the, the combining of the two into one is all come now under one umbrella. That, that's remarkable. How? How does this happen? Verse 15, by, a, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, Christ himself dying on the cross, giving his body in flesh, he abolishes the separation. By Christ dying, he abolishes separation. What does this abolishing mean? It has the idea of annulment. The annulment of, you know, we've really only heard of annulment in, in the sense of like, all right, you got married to somebody, right? And three weeks later, you found out they were a criminal or they already had, you know, three husbands or three wives already. And so you go to the courthouse and say, okay, we're going to annul the marriage, which does what? It never happened. Not only is the marriage like broken, the covenant and the, the contract of the marriage, it's not just broken, it's completely erased. 
as though it never happened. It's annulled. Well, that's the idea here. He's going to annul. He's going to completely abolish this separation. So now we're just mankind, not Jew or Gentile. And in that, the, the law of the commandments, which contain the ordinances, remember the, the laws, the Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you know, that kind of stuff. Some of the, the laws pertinent to, to Israel, you know, you, you can't have shrimp or, or bacon. Okay, these laws are going to be abolished. That's a part of this is those come down that he in himself might make the two into one new man. This establishes peace. So we're not male and female. We're not Mexican America. We're not North and South. We're not liberal conservative. We're, we're, we're not uh, American African. We're not American Russian. We are one people. You're either on team Jesus or you're not. Um, Israel needs to understand this. The church of Ephesus needs to understand this, that the Gentiles were formally far off and alienated, but they're not anymore. In fact, verse 16, <coughs> and that they might reconcile both in one body to God through the cross. Some of these verses that we'll come across in the scriptures are just so powerful. I mean, th th this sentence right here, um, reconciliation has again that idea that that you have two different ideas, two different concepts, and both need to become true. Uh, on a ledger, financially, we, the, both sides of the ledger need to line up, right? You've got... You've got um, assets and liabilities, you got spending and, and income. Well, at the end of the day, they need to line up um, so that they are in agreement, not in disagreement. So God wants to reconcile both of these people into one body, not one body and. Uh, we'll, we'll talk later about this, but we have issues right now in the church where the church wants to identify, well, here's the Christian church and then here's Israel. Well, I've got news for you. If you're Israeli, uh, you better know Jesus because just being a Jew is not going to save you. You need to know Jesus. You need to therefore be a Christian. Um, that's the body that we live under. One body, not one body and a half, right? Uh, it's the church. And we're going to talk a lot about the church and the body of Christ. To God through, again, through, how does he do this? What's, what, what's the anchor? It's the cross. It's the cross. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through him, through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. It's, it's through Christ. How's our access? Our access is spiritual. Our access comes from the Holy Spirit. That's our entrance. Our entrance is through the Holy Spirit. Our bond together is through the Holy Spirit. Our bond is not in those little independent things of who we are. No, we, we, we release that to join the body. So, so your body, the Bible describes it as a, the, the body, right? Your eye, your ears, your nose, your, your you know, hands, you know, your senses, right? Which sense would you like to give up today? What sense do you want to give up? Because you know what? You're not one body. You don't really need that. So you're going to, you, you know, uh, my, my ears are... You know, they're like Mexicans, so I don't really, I don't really like them. I don't want my Mex, I don't want them in, in the body. Well, you know, my nose, my smelling is like the, you know, liberals, you know, it's like, ah, you know, I don't want my nose. I'm going to cut my nose to spite my face, right? No, we don't do that. 
The idea is it's one body. I want and need it all. I like seeing, smelling, touching, feeling. I, I like it all. Um, so we are now coming together, all these differences, but we're not still independently walking around going, well, the ear is the most important. Why? Because I'm the ear. Because that's what we tend to do. No, it's through him we have access in one spirit. Christ is our anchor. We sang about it. Christ is our cornerstone. So the Gentiles are now, look, the Gentiles are now, they're off the reservation. They're joint heirs. They're part of the family of Christ, whether you're Jew or Gentile. doesn't matter. Well, finally we see, starting at verse 19, that the Gentiles they, they were formally alienated, they were formally far off, and they were formally strangers. And you'll take note that all of these are kind of a different version of the other, right? Which is to say that there's a great emphasis to show how distant and different that the Gentiles were from the Jews, how it used to be, but no longer should be the case. And so verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens, strangers, foreign. You're, you're not foreign, strangers, guests. You're, you're not guests. You're family, right? You're family. Strangers, again, if we look the word up, it has the idea of to do with aliens. So what is alien? Again, it's the idea of non-citizens. You weren't citizens. You've, you've now, through amnesty, you're now full citizens. No longer to be looked at as illegal trespassers. No, full citizenship. Brothers and sisters, joint heirs, full promises. Can't have that if we still have divisions and separations. Not only things like male-female, but things like Jew and Gentile. It doesn't work. And so the Lord is spelling this out for this church in, in Ephesus. Verse 19, so... You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer second tier. The Jews aren't better than you, but you are fellow citizens. It, it, it's hard for us if, if we're born and raised here in America uh, to really fully understand. Come from another country, though. Come from another country. Look like you come from another country and see how people treat you. Then you'll see how powerful this means to say, you know what? They don't treat you that way anymore. They don't see you that way anymore. They just see you as a full-blooded fellow citizen with the saints. So again, we have this, this spiritual component here. This isn't just a physical thing or, or like a, a commonwealth thing. This is a spiritual thing. When we talk about saints, we're talking about uh, you know, the, the, the people of heavenly promise, right? God's, if you're not sure, goes on to say God's household. You're with the saints and are of God's household. Does it get any better than that? Is there any better citizenship than that? Well, I have citizenship as a full-blooded American, you know. Isn't that like the best citizenship? To, well, I have dual citizenship. I'm American and something else. Well, you know what? My citizenship is in heaven. Can keep America. I'll take heaven. Um, can keep the dirt in Israel. I'll take heaven. Um, that's the idea here. Verse 20. Having been built. Okay, this is kind of going back to the body. The body now. The, the body of Christ. The church having been built upon the foundation of the apostles. So here's some recognition. The apostles, New Testament leaders, and the prophets, Old Testament believers. See, how, see who does that there? Kind of bringing them both together. Two 
into one. Prophets, not more important than apostles. Well, we were with Jesus. We're more important than prophets. No, apostles, not more important than the prophets. Okay, two into one. Having built upon the foundation of the apostles. These are foundational things. Apostles are foundation. Prophets are foundation. It's Christ Jesus himself who's the cornerstone. What's the most important part of the building? The cornerstone. It doesn't move. We build off of that. You learn that in Legos 101, right? I love doing STEM classes with the kids. You know, it's like, all right, let's build this Lego tower or building or wall. It's like, well, if you get the same piece, the same length, and you go straight up, what happens? Duke. It just falls down, right? You got to interlock it. And then you want that cornerstone that interlocks. And then with that won't move, then at the end of the day, you know, somebody may kick your Lego building or knock it down or, you know, the whole thing's not coming down because that cornerstone's going to keep you solid. And if you emanate from that out and up, it'll not go anywhere. And Jesus Christ himself, not apostles, not New Testament apostles, not Old Testament prophets. It's Jesus who unites us from former strangers into one body. Verse 21, in whom Jesus, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing. And I love this phrase, into a holy temple in the Lord. Remember, the promise of the new covenant the new covenant that then included the Jews and the world, the new covenant that was ratified on the cross by the blood of Christ, the new covenant that's, that said now the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. So your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We then are the body of Christ that's the holy temple of the Lord. What a picture. What an amazing picture. And for you to think that you're more important or special than somebody else, um, you're going against your own body. You're going against your own temple. You're going against what the Lord has built himself. Verse 22, in whom you also being built together, together, together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. These are deep things. We've studied and talked about the mystery, right? The mystery is how the Lord unites us all together. Why? Because we don't want to be united together. We struggle with that. You look at the cultures of the world, right? different continents, different nationalities, different states, you know, and they have different flags and different languages. And, you know, we're, we're, it goes back to the Tower of Babel. We want to separate and not be united. And God has always wanted to dwell in the midst of his people and unite all his people. That's the ultimate goal that God has in one spirit. But he's the anchor. He's the base, not you. You don't drive that. And the country that you represent doesn't drive that. And the nationality that you represent doesn't drive that. And that's the problem that we have is that we tend to then be leaning and driven towards more along the line of well, who we are, right? And so as a man, I don't represent just myself. I represent my family, which includes my wife and my daughters. So the idea that, you know, you go and you represent, you know, your district and somebody looks and goes, well, how would you know you're a man? Well, I don't love my wife. I don't love my, my daughters. I don't represent them. If not as much, even more. Well, some people do, some people don't. That's why the idea of anybody being radical on one side is quite odd to me because by definition, you're, you're not creating unity. You are creating disunity by polarizing to one side or another. Um, <clears throat> and so the idea there then here is that the church, if it's to grow, if it's to thrive, it's to, to be one, one body, it needs to understand, yes, yes, 
Maybe it was you that was alienated and it was horrible. Maybe it was you who were far off and treated poorly. Maybe you were treated like a stranger, but you know what? That's no longer the case. It's time to, to move forward. We rally around the cross, around the blood of Christ. That's our anchor. That's our peace. That's our hope. The, the Bible doesn't have nationality. It's, it's unbelievable that way. That's why it resonates with the people who read it, no matter where you are in the world. How does somebody who's, who's behind a, a, a communist block in South Korea or, or communist China or Russia, how do they come out of that with the scriptures and they're just Christians? Because this book doesn't drive you to individuality that way. It drives you to the cross. It drives you to Christianity. Why do people in America have a heart for people all over the world? Because they don't see color anymore. They want the whole world saved. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? Because we're all united under one umbrella. So we're supposed to get it that, that we all need to come together, but not just around a word or a phrase, right? This isn't sloganism. Let's not make that mistake. The things that we're called to over and over, we're with Christ, with him, in him, in Christ. How? We're brought together by the blood of Christ, verse 13. We're reconciled by Christ, verse 16. We have access by one spirit. We're fitted together. We're built together in God, in the spirit. We're fellow heirs. We're joint heirs because Christ's our cornerstone. We don't make this up on our own and as we go. And that's why it's so important that when we want to understand how we should then live and how we should function at a church, that then we come to the scriptures and say, well, what does the Lord say? And what it's saying here in chapter two is, you know what? The Ephesian church was a collection of misfits. Misfit island, right? And so are we. So are we. Uh, they had a collection of slaves and free men, men, women, barbarians, rich and poor. So are we. But now they, they, they're united. And if they can get through the different issues, and they were real issues. These are real issues they had to deal with. And we have real issues that we have to deal with. Both are true. But in Christ, we then are one and we live for him. Two three, four, 357, however nations there are, it doesn't matter. All that is into one and we have to follow Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful.